This episode of this podcast is making me thirsty is brought to you by Coleman's department store. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty. The number one destination for Seinfeld fans. This episode 67. Today's guest is Danny Woodburn. Danny played Mickey Abbott from season five through season nine of Seinfeld. He was in seven episodes. Thank you for listening. If you dig it, pass it on. Follow us on Twitter at This Thirsty. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're on Instagram as well. Thank you for listening. This podcast is making me thirsty. Episode 67, Danny Woodburn. Enjoy. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty. The number one destination for Seinfeld fans. This is episode 67. Today's guest is an actor, comedian, and activist. He has uh, more than 150 television appearances and has been in over 30 films. You know him from Conan the Adventurer, The Bold and the Beautiful, Bones, and Tracy Takes On. And of course, he played Mickey Abbott from season five through season nine in seven episodes of Seinfeld. Please welcome Danny Woodburn. Danny, thanks for joining Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining, Danny. Philadelphia. Going back, going back to Conan the Adventurer. That's yeah. 1998. Were you alive? Yeah, I guess you were. Alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What were you, 12? <laughs> 20. 20. <laughs> 20. Oh, all right. So speaking of going back, Danny, let's take us back to February 94. Uh, well, let's take us a little further back. So in the 90s, right, I heard you were selling cowboy boots. You <laughs> you were doing a lot of fun stuff while trying to get uh, trying to get gigs and acting. I know your first, your first gig was with Hunter, if I recall, right? Yes, yes. That was very exciting for me because I got to ride in the travel van with um, Brian Judd. You remember that character actor, Brian Judd? Time to die. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. Yes, Blade Runner and uh, many other things. Yeah, before he passed away, but that was like that was my first brush with like you know celebrity, I guess you could say. So it was very exciting to ride in the travel van. And the director of that episode, as well as the wardrobe person, brother and sister, uh, Gus Triconis and his sister, were in West Side Story together. They were dancers. Hmm. So, like just so bombarded with all this great like Hollywood uh, nostalgia, you know, all in one. So I thought that was pretty awesome. You've seen it all. So you skip a couple of years ahead, and um, I would say probably 1993, you get the call from Seinfeld. So tell us a little bit about how that came about. Did you audition? I got the audition. I did. I auditioned three times, actually. First with the uh, the casting director's assistant, uh, Brian Myers, then with uh, Mark Hirschfeld and Meg Lieberman, the, the main casting folks, right. and then into the big room, into the big room with Jerry and Larry. Oh, nice. And, uh, you know, it, it's on the, it was in this old house, old house looking building on the CBS Radford lot. And uh, it was the outer hallway and then like the inner office and then 
the conference room where I auditioned. So I went in, I did the audition, and then they go, can you wait just inside the inner office? And I was like, ooh, inner office, not outer office, inner office. <laughs> so I, I knew right away something good was about to happen. Nice. And then so that was the stand-in, right? Your first episode was the stand-in. Yeah, right, um, right. And I went, literally, I went right from that audition to the table read, the first table read. And uh, we had this um, moment, uh, Michael Richards and I, where we're reading at the table and we get to that moment of volatility where Mickey's supposed to go at it with Michael and we both just like jump up, basically go at each other across the table. So we knew we had something good, you know? Yeah. I mean, that was, that was your thing, man. And every episode is like you, you and Michael Richards would go at it. It all started with the stand. We've heard that a lot that, that, and I, I guess it's, it's unique to Seinfeld is that right after the audition, you're going right to the table, read it. Sound. we've heard that from it's, a few guest it's, stars. It's, it's crazy. It's the way I have never, I have never been whisked away like that to a, to a set right after, you know, right after. I, I got, like, we got to find out. I think out they're still talking to my agent going, how much are we going to pay this guy? But they're walking <laughs> me down, you know. So were you, at that point, you just think you're doing just a stand-in and not, you know, going to be a recurring character? No, no, they didn't give me any sense that I was going to come back, you know, but uh, I knew they liked what I was doing. I got, you know, I got big marks. And then, of course, um, that was, we shot that in December of 93. Mm -hmm. so when it came out in February, I knew something was up when people started recognizing me driving. Mm. <laughs> like, like it, they don't see me walking on the street because I'm like, you know, you can spot me from a couple blocks away, but in my in my car. And then when they started questioning what I was driving, like, hey, that's that guy. And they go, why are you driving a Toyota Tercel? And I'm like, because <laughs> I just got the job, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and it's interesting, too, because the stand in, you know, the premise of it, from what I gather, you know, Larry David had known about had about this, how they used adults would be stand-ins because of child labor yeah. laws or something like this. And so you were aware yeah, of that? Kids, certain kids at certain ages um, can only be on a set for a certain period of time. And then they have to go to school. Uh, so, um, and I've done stand-in work prior to okay. this. I had done, I had worked on a whole season of step-by-step -step, actually, standing oh, cool. in for the, the youngest kid. So <laughs> I knew from experience what this, what this was like, and I could relate to that at times, this feeling of humiliation <laughs> that went along with it, because, you know, that was the whole, don't go daddy, don't right, right, go. Right, right, the way you that, read that. There's no enthusiasm whatsoever in, in playing this part, because you're like, it's I want to so be an good. actor, I don't, I don't want to be reciting lines for a kid, you right. know, who's off in school, and I'm doing, I'm doing off camera for the mom, and I'm the one laying in bed, you know, <laughs> as the kid. And she's like telling me a little, like a nursery rhyme or some kid's story. And I'm like, I don't want to be here, lady. I just wanted to just harp back to the audition. I mean, were there, what we've heard from a lot of guest stars is like, there's a ton of people auditioning. You kind of see familiar faces. I mean, what, what do you think sold them on you, Danny? Like for, for you to get the role? Was it was it Jerry and Larry? I mean, I know Larry has such a, a hand in everything. It really comes down to like certain line readings that I felt like got the laugh, you know, like the "Don't go, Daddy, don't go." That was a big. Yeah. That was a big. That was a big <laughs> I, I really nailed that. I think in that audition, and I think that was a like you can get them to laugh out loud on a sitcom in the audition, then, then. That's that's how you know something good might happen. Yeah, you you bring up lines, and I think God. I mean, that episode. There's so many iconic lines from you know Elaine saying he took it out to you yeah. from you know calling Kramer you big ape 
to rock, paper, scissors, rock, paper. Yeah. Just nothing beats so, rock. so many iconic lines. There was a certain stupidity, I think, about the two of them together. You know, there was just like, you know, the rock, paper, scissors thing is classic. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, rock flies right through paper. And it just the, I think Mickey's arrogance and his like assuredness, right? I think those being sold in the room also were, I think, a big thing for me. Like, you know, I'm an East Coast guy. I think that helped. You know, I grew up in Philly. So, you know, I know about busting chops and that sort of thing. And so I think that little bit of edge definitely helped in uh, in the reading for me. Yeah, and it's interesting because you mentioned that that that's the shows a lot what you just talked about in the yada 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 um, episode, which is when you and uh, Kramer are dating double going the double dates with your you know you have the yeah. same shirt. That is to me that's that's the Mickey and Kramer relationship to a T. Like that's just he, that's he makes a couple that's of wisecracks about you being divorced and and you go yeah. after him and the, everything in that whole thing. And so if you didn't know when you were you know brought on for the stand that you're going to be back. I mean, would they just would they just call you and be like, "We got something for you this season or this episode," and 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 just bring you back? Yeah, they would for call it me like kind of literally like a week before. And wow. Say, are you available? You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it wasn't like a long wait. I mean, you know the what uh, you said, season five. I started five, six. Yeah, seven, you did eight. one in every season, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Two, two in the last plus the finale. Yeah. I think the finale. Yeah. You know, uh, and the finale originally was like two parts in a sense. So. So um, you you had to develop Mickey. You developed him in the stand-in, but you then kind of like it sounds like you nailed him as far as the, the arrogance and the, the, you really knew how to push Kramer's buttons a lot. Like that was that was a key thing. Yeah, I mean, that's that, that's what they did. They push each other's buttons, and I think right. too the um, the other big thing I think that was for me, uh, I, I had a problem with the line with the word midget, right? So in the first episode, George uses that word, and in the script, uh, Mickey doesn't respond to it. He treats it like it's okay. And I let Jerry and Larry know in no uncertain terms, it's not cool. It's not a good word. And I was like, how are we going to work around this? Because it's like, there's never been a very special episode of Seinfeld where you're <laughs> explaining something. You had to build it into the character. And so, you know, uh, Larry said, um, and I remember this distinctly, he said, give me a, a fast reaction followed by a slow burn. So that's why you see that, like that beat and then the, the slow, slowly I turn going over to George and I go, it's, it's little people, you got that? And that that beat for me, like that just sells Mickey, like this is who he's gonna be. He's ready to trounce. He's ready to put your head to a wall if need be. So don't say the wrong thing. And I felt like, and then Michael improvises the word, the line, easy Mickey, easy. And oh, I was like, that, that catapulted like who this guy's gonna be from now on. Because those lines were never there, right? So when he goes easy, Mickey, easy, I was like, oh, that's who this guy is now. He's ready yeah. to fight. <laughs> always, you were always short fuse, and that was it. You just snapped. Yep. That's a great yep. story. But, but to your point, Dan, yeah, I think you nail it. You're an East Coast guy, and kind of that's how, I don't know, we feel like East Coast friendships are like that, right? Like ball busting, like, but in the end of the day, you got each other's back, like, and I think the chemistry between you and Michael is just is just tremendous. I mean, we've we've heard from a a ton of guest stars. The preparation he puts in far exceeded yeah. anyone else on the show. I'm assuming you saw that too. And he made it a point with me in my first episode and the episodes that followed. He said, you know, the way it works is you you rehearse for four days, you shoot on the fifth day for 
a show like this. And, you know, this was my first sitcom, but I had watched other, you know, having been on sitcom sets, I'd watched the way this works. And people come in, they do their scene to rehearse, and then they go back to their room or they go hang out, whatever. But Michael was always like, let's work on this, let's work on this, let's work on this. So we were always together working on stuff, even when it wasn't time for us to be on set. And that that's something I never experienced with any other actor. And that I owe that to Michael and his like his dedication to all the physicality, everything. Because you know, we had a lot of trouble sort of working out the fight, right? Because right. like I didn't wanna I didn't want the little the little man to come off like an animal in that sense. I wanted him. I wanted him to play off as equals, and so we started off doing stuff where I'm like on his back and he's spinning around, and we're like knocking over flats, and I'm like, yeah, this isn't going to work. It doesn't feel right, and also there's a danger element that might right, come right. into play here. He's a big guy. I'm not a big guy, so you know, is it? I was like, is there a way we can just sort of go at it, but you know, as if we have equal strength, equal power. And so that's when you see that first beat where Michael grabs Mickey or Kramer grabs Mickey and he's got me and I've got him and we're, you know, rocking back and forth and shaking one another. Literally, it's me just holding on to Michael and him <laughs> throwing me this way and that and throwing himself this way and that. Um, but that mano y mano thing, I think, was really integral to the development of their friendship because it was like they're equals in that sense, right? They're just two guys that every now and then they they throw the punches right so uh, that was just so much more funnier to me that classic sort of mutt and jeff appeal of these two guys who are on equal footing all the way across you know yeah it comes across that way too i mean even i was just rewatching again today the fight and mickey where, where, has a tendency to get the upper hand too right yeah the well end. there's there's one where elaine and jerry both pull you back and they exactly. don't. It look. It's the same thing. Like they're they're on the same level. You're they're holding your arms and you're going at them. It's, you know, it's, it's it's that same thing where you're talking about. You're you're on the same level. You're going at it. It's really, I mean, those scenes are just incredible. Whenever you're, you get the short fuse, you pounce, and you guys are like you said, like head on head on mano a mano. Um, yeah. You you mentioned the the finale briefly. We were always curious. We've only talked to a few guest stars who actually were on the finale, and you were one of them. You know, you play you play pool with Keith Hernandez. I mean, is yeah. there anything you could tell us about the finale? It looks to, from an outside of the finale, it looked like it was like the most fun you could possibly have. It was just like a big old party with like well, all like everyone coming back. It was definitely a party, seeing all these faces, and right. that was so much fun. And but everything was a surprise, really, because like you say, we're gonna do this today, we're gonna do that today, because we really didn't have scripts, you know. Oh right. But my, I think one of my favorite beats is, and I, I don't even know if it ends up in the edit, but uh, Banya walks up to Mickey. And he's like, you're in my seat. And I'm like, or the other way around, something like you're in my seat. And it, it, it's this, Banya all of a sudden, like, uh, doesn't know what to do. It's like, I, I, I kind of know this guy and I don't want to, I don't want to be near him. So I've got to make a choice, you know? Uh, it's like one of my favorite beats because it's like two guys that should never meet, <laughs> you know, Mickey and Banya. <laughs> right. So, and I'm, I'm just going back to um, Larry David and how he, introduce you to mickey i mean it's so interesting mickey just appears in season five but it feels like he was there forever right kind of just like kramer's yeah. neighborhood neighborhood friend right like well it's sort of like how they all talked about all those characters right there's, there's always references to characters and then and then they either do or don't make an appearance right there's uh um you know pachyderm right we never see this guy ever right 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 we the never story. See, we hear about him story. we hear about him all the time and it's like 
it's a big deal. And then there's another there's another guy you hear about, and then eventually he shows up. I think. Right, um, Bob Sacamano. Yeah, Kramer has a a long list a long list of friends, but like you were the, I don't know. I feel like you were his best friend. So y- you have a really unique perspective, right? You mentioned it. You were in season five, six, seven, eight, nine. Like, boom, right when the, the show was really starting to or took off ratings wise. Um, but we, you know, we have a lot of conversation with guests. Obviously, Larry David left after season seven. Um, was that noticeable to you? I mean. How involved was he in in the kind of day to day episodes? And obviously, oh yeah, I mean, he was a showrunner, so like you know, uh, the first episode or two, you know, Tom Charonis was his director, and Tom, you know, Tom definitely called the shots, uh, but you know, Larry called the shots in terms of like coming up and giving notes and all of that. So Larry was very much involved um, in in every step of the process from my perspective. Um, and then, you know, what, then in the shows that followed, it might've been from the yada yada on, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah he exactly. was yada yada and the burning. He wasn't Peter there. Melman, Peter Melman took that role basically as a showrunner. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. We had him on. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, for the episodes that I was involved in. And then of course, Larry came back for the finale, right. um, which <laughs> funny, funnily enough, it's like a classic Larry David beat. Um, I was auditioning at the Castle Rock building in Beverly Hills. This was before the finale uh, was even heard about, right? And um, I, I had, I had nothing to eat. I did this audition and I was hungry, and I went down to the commissary. And I just happened to be in there, like grabbing a sandwich or whatever. And Larry walks in, and he was sort of startled to see me. And he's like, "What are you doing here?" And I told him, and he goes, "Oh, you know what?" He goes, uh, "I'm writing the finale." And I go, "Oh yeah." And he goes, "Yeah," and um, and you're in it. I said okay. <laughs> I, thought, I thought I don't know if I was in it until he saw me and like the guilt came across him and he was like, ah, I saw him now. It's like in my mind, it's like this classic Larry David beat where he's like, ah, shit, I saw him. I have to put him in. The- <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I'm convinced that that's what happened. You know? Wow, that is funny. So out of the um, out of the five episodes, the stand in the race, the wait out, yada yada, and the burning, what's your favorite? I think the I think the yada yada is my favorite. I really, yeah, I mean, I double really date scenes that. are amazing. Yeah, I really love that bit of physical, that bit of physical back and forth you have at the at the table. You know, yeah, that fight. You know, it's like yeah. this that he gets the upper hand, and then I come up and pull him all the way to the ground, <laughs> and that's completely like not not staged. I mean, we just it's just what happened in the moment, you know. And I just I just pray that pray that. I don't get hurt. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah, that, that that's... Michael was notorious for like working all week, being physical with me, and then on show night, I look over at him. He's putting on pads, and I'm like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "I go, I don't have pads, Mike. I don't have any pads." <laughs> he looks at me and goes, "Don't worry about it, Danny." And I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> it's so funny. Those are like Melman wrote uh, the yada yada, obviously, and they're different writers for for all these episodes. Yet they all had the common theme of you tackling Kramer. You know, it was, <laughs> I don't know if that was just like Larry David's influence, although he wasn't in, you know, the burning and yada, yada, but. It was that first beat. Like I said, it's that first beat of volatility that came out of easy Mickey easy. You know, they were like, Oh, we have to do that again. You know, because it, um, it was, it, you know, that little laugh, that little laugh carried a lot of weight, you know? 
we've been talking a lot about Larry David. I, I just wanted to ask you, it's kind of a little off topic with Seinfeld, but I know you were with, um, you're on the Tracy Ullman, Tracy Takes On show. Um, yeah. And I'm a big fan of hers from her original, her first show too. But curious, you know, she was, I'm assuming she was the showrunner and had her hands on everything on that show. Is there any, um, yeah, her any and her similarities? Husband. Oh, her, okay. So that, any yeah. similarities working on that than with than seeing Larry work these types of you know comedic genius. Well, you know, it's types. a different it's a different work style, right? Because you you're shooting a single camera, mm-hmm. so it's it's a totally different atmosphere. Um, for re- like you rehearse before you right just right before you shoot each scene, and everything's shot out of order, so it's a completely different environment in that sense. It's shot like a film as opposed to a sitcom, you know, even though it's that sitcom. It, it is a sitcom but it's just not shot that way so right. it's a different it's a totally different experience you know you have you have four days to work out the stuff on a you know together on a half hour for camera but just you know you're together for those moments before you shoot and that's what you do and i i, I prefer the four camera format just because it's i love to be in front of a live audience i mean I love making films too, but it's just a totally different kind of experience. You know, we talk to a lot of a lot of guest stars, and I think uh, a common thread, a common theme, is um, the unselfishness of the the main cast, right? George Lynch, Eric, they let the the guest star shine. I mean, you clearly took oh, yeah. a, took advantage of that, but in a, in a way, just with the chemistry with Kramer is unbelievable. But any any stories about any I know you work primarily with Michael Richards, but you did it you always had that you always walked in Jerry's apartment. I feel like you guys always like, I don't know, it's just like a always that friendly hello. Um yeah. any stories about Jerry? He came from the stand-up world. Um you know, I I'd done stand-up over the years on and off many, many times. And I, I told him a story about me being on stage like shortly after him one night at the improv in Santa Monica where I was, you know, very new and he's a seasoned pro and, and, uh, well, maybe it wasn't, maybe it was the main LA Hollywood improv. I can't remember which, but either way, I said, you know, I, I followed you one night and I said, not very well. <laughs> um, but he, he, uh, the, the one thing that I found funny that was sort of spoke to his, his innocence in a way was he asked me, um, on the set when we first got together on the, on the show, he's making conversation. He said, is it true that there's a, a whole community of little people that live together? Like he had heard about this, like like a, a town that was just all little people. And I looked at him and I just said, well, not since Oz. And that was my, so he got it. Like that was sort of an absurd, sort of an absurd question. Um, but I, I know he was just making conversation, but no, no, there's no community of little people that live together. Uh, although to correct myself, I think there is a place in, in India, but it's sort of an amusement place. It's like all these people, all these little people live there, but it's also sort of part of their job to live there because people come in and see the little town. So I, I stand corrected now at this point. Uh, that's, that's so the, <laughs> let me answer that question. He had to be half joking though, right? I get maybe he wasn't. I don't know. It just seems like an interesting question that like, I guess he just heard about it, right? Um, no, I wasn't. I, I don't think he was joking. I think he was. I, I think he was completely sincere, which is why he laughed when I said "not since Oz," because right, right. he was like, "wasn't setting me up," you know. Right. You you mentioned that you had you had um, uh, you know, told Larry in the first episode that this is a stand-in. You know, basically that you know you didn't want 
the George couldn't call you a midget without you saying something back. And then he lets you say that, you know, give, give that take that you gave, which yeah. is an amazing take. Yeah. Um, anything else like that in your five episodes where you kind of no. uh, were no, able I to do so, take the reins almost? Once we, established, once we established that Mickey was, you know, one of the guys in a sense. Right. There was no, like, there was no looking for, like, I've worked on so many shows where they're looking for, like, yeah, I've actually heard producers go, what can we do with him? Like, how can we play with him? It was just like some like very strange experiences in that sense. And I've, I've had to go through scripts and say, you know, you can't say this, you can't say that. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to, for example, bite somebody on the ass. I won't be doing that. Right. You know, so that, that's, that's happened on, I think, three different uh, shows and auditions. So um, there was never that, beyond that first time where I talked to them about that word, there was never anything like, I felt like I was doing something that I shouldn't be doing. You know what I mean? Right. And just in general, though, was there any ad libbing at all where you, you got, you got, besides the fighting stuff, was there any, um, just like your lines or anything like that, where you, you felt like. I'm, I'm sure. They're very, you know, they were very much sticklers for, for the dialogue. So. Right. I mean, they got, they got a writer staff that's. Yeah. And I think as a line. guest, I think as a guest, it's, it's rare that you would like improvise lines, you know, especially on a shoot night. Right. Like you, <laughs> you better, you better have something really solid coming out of you or, right. or you, you, know, you would ask like, Hey, can I try this line? Right. And then they would say yes or no. But I mean, as far as like, just on the fly, throwing something out there. Yeah. I, I would, I would probably ask just cause I know they were very much. Sure. Uh, and actually Danny, our favorite episode you ran and we haven't touched on it yet was the race i mean just an iconic episode and it was actually a christmas episode believe it or not oh um, okay but yeah we had that's when you and you and kramer were working at coleman's um right right uh mark christopher lawrence fired you guys uh, we had him on the show he said you guys you know used to do, bump into each other stand up but i mean yeah, that, that was a, yeah yeah, I mean that that was a great episode. We learned Mickey had two kids in college during that scene, which <laughs> they, they never touched on again. But um, t- yeah, tell us a little bit. Tell us a little bit about that that episode. Did you? I guess and here's the other question: Do you hang around on set for some of the the other scenes? Oh, I never leave the set. I'm not one to sit in my in my room. I I want to see what's going on. I want to see. I, I always want to make it a learning experience because I'm watching. I'm watching a great show like this. I want to see how it's done, you know. So yeah, I'm I'm not one for leaving the set. Um, so yeah, to that point, what were, what were some of the the things you learned and you took with you to other acting roles throughout your career that you got from Jerry Michael or even some of the directors? You know, I it's it, I had done so many sitcoms after that. It's hard to say like. I had also watched, I had watched a lot of, of, of people work on sitcoms, you know, like spending that season watching a, uh, uh, like step-by-step. Step. There was some really great television directors on there um, who knew their stuff. And uh, uh, I can't remember his name now, just Cor- Corson, Corso. I can't remember his name now, but uh he was actually um, in Leave It to Beaver. He's like a child actor who moved oh, on wow. to be a, a television director. And this guy, I wish I could remember his name. Sorry. I, I met him again on Crash and Bernstein when I was doing that kid's show. He came and directed that. 
This guy can just throw out the blocking of the camera, say he wants this, he wants that. Like it's just all mapped out in his head. It's like a it's like a improvisational dance. So it would be great as a to get to this point as a director um, of anything to reach that level of confidence and, and knowledge where it just it's just rote. Like I know what to do here, what to do there. There's you know you're going to come in from here, you're going to come in from there. Um, I, I learned that you can you can build you can build a scene right depending on how you come in where you go what you know what your what your whole like experience is going to be in that scene you can you can help build it and that's that's that i felt like that's that was a good learning thing for me like you know understanding the blocking and like what it means in the scene uh how it's presented uh for the audience right I mean, I yeah. I had already come several years working on stage, so I, I had a lot of that knowledge. But it's just the the television camera is a different experience altogether. Well, I'll tell you this: I I asked what you learned, but I, what I can tell you is we learned a lot from you. I know it was twenty seven, twenty eight years ago, but you you stood up for yourself. You went to Larry, and you and you you kind of nipped it in the bud with uh, and how you wanted to be addressed. And I know that's been a a pivotal. That was a pivotal point in your career, and I know you've done a lot of uh, a lot of it for disability rights. I'm just curious. Give us a little bit, of, like how, how the, how's the fight still going? Like, are you? I know it's a never-ending battle for you, but um, how much has changed in the last 27 years? Um, I, I think I think there's a good solid period of like 20 years where there wasn't much of any change, um, but now with with getting into like the um, uh, you know, the movement of the, the Oscar So White campaign a couple of years ago, right? 2016, 17. Um, that, was, that was something that addressed, you know, marginalized communities that were left out of the picture. But in addressing those communities, it was people with disability were never included. And that to me was like a pivotal moment in saying, okay, it's enough, enough is enough. This, you have, you can't call, call out inclusion and diversity without including yeah, people with disabilities in, right. in that. So I, I came from a, a long career of, you know, advocating for myself on the set, you know, trying to make changes and not, not be objectified as a person in a role to make my characters multidimensional, whether or not I play a, a gnome, uh, or last year I played a pig, <laughs> or I play a father, or I play somebody who's the head of the State Department. Any of these, you know, uh, uh, a husband, uh, uh, an abusive neighbor, all of these different roles that I've gotten to play over the years, there have been times where I've had to address these things and say, you can't say this without me addressing it. And uh, like another example is uh, the Watchmen script. Um, it has the word in there and it doesn't, it doesn't allow me to address it. So I was like, you can keep the word, but I have to have an opportunity to address it. Right. So because I wasn't in the room in that scene, they took out the word. So there, there are things like that. And I, you know, I think at times it's, it's affected me in a positive way and it's also kept me from roles. Right. So I, it was a, another show that came out and um, major television show uh, and they had um, my character was 
a circus performer, uh, and I didn't, I didn't do it, but my character was a circus performer who throughout this episode, and it's a kid's half hour sitcom, it's a kid's half hour sitcom. Throughout the episode, he's like making kissy faces and googly eyes at like a 15, 16 year old girl who's the daughter of the leads. And I'm like, you know, you know I'm a man, right? And this yeah. is a child and you're turning this guy into a pedophile and it's funny. And I'm like, I, I, I can't do that. So unless you change that, I don't want to do the role. And so they're like, okay, we'll, we'll have somebody else do it. So that's, that's happened to me a couple of times, but um, uh, there's been an, there was another audition, like I said, a biting on the butt. So the character that I'm auditioning for is gonna go out with the lead, one of the lead females in the show. But the way he asks her out is he comes up behind her and bites her on the ass and then says, hey, let's go out together. And she's like, sure. And I'm like thinking to myself, had that worked at prom, um, but it doesn't, it doesn't right. work. It's an unrealistic so. scenario that will get you arrested. Uh, <laughs> and so I objected to that in the room and I said, look, uh, I, I, I don't feel right about this. Can we, do I have to do that? Can we do something else? And, you know, basically it's like next, you know, so I've had those experiences and I've also had rewarding experiences where I've made major changes in a show and, uh, they've led to more opportunities, um, or they've just made a, a great point in a show you know but as far as the disability movement i would say especially over the last four years with the with um you know i I'm, i wanted to segue off my self-advocacy toward advocacy for others over the last four or five years with the the explosion of of social media and advocating via social media we, we've been able to make greater strides. And I'm, I'm actually working on um, connecting with uh, Amazon Studios to, to my partner and I are gonna consult on, uh, on material and things like that to make sure that, that disability is properly represented in the, in the context of any given show. Uh, so that's, that's, that's one awesome. of the areas where you know, studios and networks are opening the doors in that sense, Netflix, Amazon, um, uh, HBO, they're starting to open the doors to the disability community and say, we want to hear from you, right? And, and uh, Brian Cranston, who from the show, um, right. you know, he did the show, he did the film, um, uh, The Upside, right? Where he plays a man in a wheelchair and, and there was a lot of blowback from the community. And I had reached out to him and I said, hey, there's a lot of blowback in the community. And he said to me at first, well, you know, I think the publicists have handled it okay. And I'll say, well, maybe from your perspective, but from the community's perspective, this is gonna last. This, this feeling of, of disregard is gonna last. And so I wanna hear from you and then I want you to hear from me. Uh, and so he agreed to meet me and we sat, you know, over a cup of coffee and just chatted about, you know, what it means to be a, a performer with disability uh, in this industry. You know how we're less rep less likely to have representation, less likely to get opportunity, and I say I understand. You know, the, as he said, the deal was made years ago, and he's a he's a marquee name, and they want to sell the film, and I understand that. But what I said to him was, I said, look, if this opportunity comes up again, and you know that this job is going to be taken by an, a person who's not disabled playing a disabled role, you have to give three jobs to people with disability. So I have this 
you know, it's the Woodburn clause. For every one you take, you got to give back three. So that way I feel like people with disability can start to build a career, start to build a resume, and then maybe get to that point of being a marquee name like Brian Cranston. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really good. That's that's just great stuff. It's good to hear that there. And Brian said, absolutely, I'll do that. So it started with Brian, and we'll hope it just continues from there. We'll hope it. Amazon will do the same thing with us as well. That's what I was going to say. It's great that the on a you know a um, studio level they're had they're bringing in you as a consultant to kind of over you know kind of oversee everything to make you know that they're doing they're doing what they should be doing there. And Francis sounds like a great guy from all accounts. Oversee everything, but I'd like to oversee a few things. That's <laughs> <laughs> you start. Got to start sober, right? Like you said, I man. need a big you, cigar and I need to walk in with a big cigar. <laughs> you got the big cigar. You got the big cigar in the uh, the episode. You get married. You come in with the cigar and your right, wife. Right, right. With, like, uh, with uh, Jerry Marin, uh, who plays the the girl's father. I don't know if you know about Robert Jerry, Wagner, Jerry. Right? Oh, the girl's uh, that's his father. Really, he's a little. He happens to be a little person. You know, if you, and he's smoking the cigar, and then I'm smoking the cigar. So Jerry is an original um, lollipop guild dancer, by the way. Oh wow! A little yeah. trigger from that episode, yeah. Also, uh, Danny, I found was it the guy you were talking about before, Richard Carell, the um, the uh, the director yeah, that you mentioned, Richard Carell. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yes. I don't know. He's, Just wanted he's to make still. sure we got his name out there because I know you he's wanted one of uh, Bieber, one of one of the Bieber's, Bieber's friends. friends. Yeah, yeah, he's one yeah. of Bieber's friends. Yeah. Um, this was great, man. We really uh, we can't say enough. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, man. This is been You're right. Uh, you can't say enough. <laughs> <laughs> now, but Danny, before we let you go, uh, yeah. favorite Philadelphia athlete? Man, um, well, I got I, I have to choose a couple, but I'll say right. Red Grange. Red Grange, okay. the Galloping Ghost, because that's my alma mater is the the ghosts. Um, I think he's from Philly. Uh, I was a big uh, Donovan McNabb fan. So really, all right. Okay, I, was, I thought maybe Mike Schmidt was where you're going to go, but oh god, uh, Mike Schmidt! <laughs> I used to go to all those games. I used to go to see Schmitty, Greg Lazinski, uh, Larry Boa, Steve Carlton. I used to see those all those games when I was a kid, and then I went to all the hockey games with, you know, Bernie Perron, Bobby Clark, Billy Barma. Uh, right, those are those are good teams. I just remember teams. all all those, you know, but I never went to football games as a kid. So I'm a big football fan now, but I saw every like all baseball and hockey when I was a kid. Danny, this is uh, it's been a blast, man. We uh, we really appreciate it. Um, it's so much listen, fun, man. Mickey Abbott, right? He lives on forever. Lives on forever. I still got the shirt. I posted it on my Instagram. Oh, the shirt that it. you and Kramer both wearing? Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they gave it to me and I kept it all these years. I'm assuming that spin you guys came up together with it wasn't. Uh, that's something you guys just said. Let's just. Yeah, that, let's, that's right. That's like an improvisational moment right there. Where right, she said, "Turn," and we both do it at the same time. <laughs> yeah, and you turn so back the other way. It's an incredible. That's, that's, that's where you can. That's where you can really explore in the physical. The physical, and is, that's what you guys did the yeah. best, man. You, 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 and Michael Richards is one of the best teams in the history of uh, of sitcoms. I, think I owe question. that a lot to uh, the Three Stooges and the Marx Brothers. <laughs> sure, they're they're pretty good too, but don't sell yourself. You know, I mean, you guys, you know, you guys I'm just definitely... saying influence wise. Oh, influence know? wise, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you, you got like like O'Hara said, you guys will live, you're living on, and and uh, we really appreciate you, you coming on with us, giving us some time. Yeah, thank man. you, guys. Thanks for having me. This has been fun. Awesome. Keep up the good work, Danny, and uh, 
We'll two things an actor likes. There's two things an actor likes. Talking about themselves and a free meal. <laughs> <laughs> the pizza's in the mail, Danny. Yeah, well. <laughs> Thank you. Frozen cheesesteak, please. <laughs> Thanks, Danny. This was this was so much fun. Thanks. It. Thank you.